Whatever. Let's do this. Detective Mercedes Kelly Knight, badge 30935. You know, you're not being recorded. Of course I am. You know this is bullshit, right? Things got rough with a hostile witness. You think that's the first time this has ever happened? You lost control. And it's all about control with you, isn't it? I mean, that's why you were a point guard. You wanted to be the one to distribute the ball, right? It's because I was short. And it was the only way I could get on the court, so. Because you had to play the game. It's not a game for me. Then why get benched for something as stupid as getting physical with Claire Temple? Panels to Pixels, Luke Cage, Season 1, Episodes 9 and 10. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. I'm Mark. And I'm Steve. Where are we on episode nine? So episode nine has an interesting beginning, at least an interesting title. This DWYCK is an acronym for a song. It's a song title that's an acronym, which is Do What You Can, Kid. So I, I'm not sure. These whole song titles, I don't know this this band the, this band and these song titles, but I guess they're significant to some people. So um but this episode begins with Misty being in the box, in quotes, as, as we see in so many crime uh, shows and, and TV crime dramas where she's in the box. She's being interviewed by some police counselor, and uh, this interview basically runs through the entire episode. Uh, we get snippets of it revealing a little bit about Misty and a little bit about her, kind of her background and kind of what's going on in her head. We, we see Luke as he's in the garbage truck, as we, we ended last episode with him being shot by Diamondback and falling into the garbage truck. We see him get out of the diamond truck, uh, the diamond truck, the, gar- the garbage <laughs> truck. We see him get out of the garbage truck. Uh, we see Mariah dealing with what she has done, uh, as in uh, murdering or killing um, Cottonmouth. And now uh, we see... Uh, Shades kind of dealing with Diamondback, and as we go through the, the the episode, the big reveal is that the doctor from Seagate is still alive. We ended that episode several episodes ago, that flashback to Carl's Seagate days with the lab being on fire, and us not sure about the doctor. Well, we find out he is alive. He's kind of hiding out. He's scared, but he still has a lab, and he still has all his stuff, and so... Um, gosh, the name is the, the nurse's name. I can't believe I can't remember her. Um, Rosario Dawson's character bring it brings uh, Carl Luke Cage to the doctor for him to help. Uh, we end with seeing Mariah 
make some kind of deal with Stryker, and then we see Luke apparently die. And that's how the episode ends. And so I, I want to say I'm glad we're doing two episodes a piece because I don't <laughs> think if we were just doing one episode at a time, I don't think I could have stopped. I think yeah. I would have had gone on at least to watch the beginning of the next episode to see how does how does Luke get out of this this kind of thing because apparently he dies. Um, and that brings us to our top fives for episode nine, DWYCK. Sweet Christmas. Um, <laughs> Uh, I guess I'll start because my my number five kind of plays into the very beginning of the episode, which is kind of the astuteness, the awareness of the interviewer that's talking to Misty because he gives her that that picture of her and Diamondback when Diamondback had his gun to or had her gun to her own head and he picks up and he figures out all the things like the little gestures that she's made, the little things she does with her face. And he figures out that there's something very significant about this picture and what's going on here. And so I really thought that was kind of cool to meet because we very rarely meet a non, I want to say a, a non primary character who has this kind of awareness and this kind of you know vision to be able to pick up on these little subtle cues of people's body language and their face uh, haptics, as it's called. And so I really thought that was kind of cool to have a character who, I don't know if we're going to see this guy again, I don't know if he's going to drop in through other seasons or what, but it just was interesting for me from my point of view to see, because really this is almost a character that they could build a show around this, this guy who, what he does, he said, he's a, he tells her that he's, he used to be a cop and now he's a psychologist who interviews or counsels cops who are in this situation. And, you know, so he's, he kind of understands the whole interviewing from the police perspective, but he also knows it from the psychiatrist psychology kind of perspective. So I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. Cool. My number five would be, Oh, sweet Christmas, <laughs> according to Luke Cage, regarding that opening with Misty being interrogated and Luke still stuck with that lead, that lead in his gut, you know. Uh, oh, my God, that that interrogation was a little bit intense. <laughs> I think I think we've got several notes about that through the whole through our, our whole top five, through the whole episode. Yeah. Uh, but that's cool. Yeah, he does. He gets out of the 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 garbage truck and he he, he gives us the sweet Christmas line, and uh, that leads right into my number four, which is that scene in the cold open of Luke climbing out of the garbage truck and uh, that short piece of music we get as he stands up in the sun, and it's it's almost it's kind of a triumphant very 70s stylized kind of soundtrack as he's standing up in the sun but we also know that he's still fighting like you said he's got this bullet this this shrapnel in his stomach um and he's we don't know how that's going to play out and then he has to fight with those cops uh in his condition and uh, i love one of the things i i noticed and and it may have been – I don't know if it was the actor's choice, if it was just coincidence or if I'm, I'm overthinking the scene. But I loved what the cop did, if you look closely, was he emptied his, his weapon because the slide was back and he kept, he kept the gun leveled at Luke. He kept it pointing downrange at Luke while he ejected the magazine and tried to slam another one home. And that's the way they taught us in the military to do it. They always said, you know, if you, if you ever watch like these combat, sh not combat shows, but these uh, competition shooters, you'll see them kind of duck down and they kind of bring the gun to their face 
and they reload it. Whereas in the military, and I don't know police because I don't, I wasn't a policeman, but in the military, they taught us to reload holding the weapon pointed at your adversary hmm. and not, you don't take the, you don't take the muzzle of your weapon off your adversary. So I thought that was really cool to see him hold that weapon pointed at Luke as he ejected the magazine and then went to, to slam it home. Cause like I said, that's the way they taught us to do it in, in the military. So I should ask my brother. Yeah. I don't, like I said, I, I'd love to know if that's something they teach uh, police officers or not, because like I said, that's, they taught us and it was funny cause it, I've done a lot of, situations where I've been with some of the guys that I train with, with, with our firearms and they saw me do that and they go, no, no, you need to pull the gun back and reload it. And I'm like, no, I need to keep my gun pointed at my adversary. (laughs) And they're like, no, no, you need to do this. I'm like, no, this is the way I was trained to do it. This is the way I'm going to reload my weapon, (laughs) you know? So it just, it just was interesting to me. And that will take us to To your number four, my number four. So, my number four would be Shades coming to Mariah saying that the the business is hers now. It, it sounded like kind of ulterior, like he had an ulterior motive, like he was going to try to manipulate her. Yeah, that was an interesting scene because he kind of tells her that she now owns Harlem's Paradise and he says the same thing to those guys. I can't remember, it was this episode or the previous episode when he tells them, you know, that that she owns Harlem's paradise now and they work for him because she's put him in charge. And I'm kind of like, I don't remember seeing that (laughs) like on screen. I don't remember seeing her kind of giving him, you know, charge of running things, but that's kind of what he's stepped into here. And so I I was kind of surprised, but at the same time, I'm kind of with you. There was, there definitely seemed to be like an ulterior motive, to what he was saying is that he's telling her, you know, it's your business now. You you can take over, but you need to listen to me and you need to listen to what I'm going to say. You know, like the the last episode when she said, you're talking to me like I'm a child because I'm in shock. And he's like, well, you are in shock and this is what you need to do. Blah, 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 blah. You know, <laughs> so I, I, I said that's that's it's an interesting relationship between the two of them. And it's going to be interesting to see how it progresses through this season and if it goes into next season to see what uh, what she becomes. Because I know in these two episodes, we really kind of see her, and I think I have this in my notes, we kind of see her becoming a crime queen pin, so to speak. But that's interesting, yeah. My number three is, it, I don't understand why the investigation into Cornell's death, it seems like it's just, it's either been put to the side or they're not even going to bother because they're convinced that Luke is the one who did it. They've got the gloves. They've got, you know, the, the, the proof that they think they need. And so they're just kind of, they're not worrying about actually investigating that crime. They just want to find Luke. And then it almost seems like Diamondback doesn't know that Mariah actually killed Cornell either. And that Shades is still kind of working on that frame up, uh, even though he wants he, he wants Luke dead too. Because with Luke alive, he can tell people, "No, wait, I was in a whole other part of town in an ambulance when this happened." Yeah. You know, and 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 so it's kind of like, and that really surprised me how Misty picked up on that very quickly, but then she backpedaled on it when they found the gloves, and she never went back to. She didn't tell anybody that 
there's this obvious alibi that Luke has. And I, I don't know if that's because she doesn't want to admit that she was in that close of a contact with him or what, but it just it seems like the the invest like I said, the investigation specifically into Cornell's death has has shifted from we're just gonna find Luke Cage and we don't care what happens to him or how we find him and we don't care about convicting him, we're just gonna get him and bring him in and then we'll figure it out once we get him. That's what it seems like to me anyway, is once we've got him captured, we'll bring him in, then we'll build a case. Hmm. And I'm like, I don't think it works that way. But like normally don't you have to have the proof first? (laughs) Then but uh anyway. Uh what was your go ahead? I want to elaborate on that. Uh you said gloves with Luke. Yeah. Are they trying to pull a, a, a an OJ Simpson? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> what are they going to do? Are they going to Are they going to bring those gloves into the courtroom and they're going to try to put them on his hands or or what? Because uh, it just seems interesting to me that you would think like it's one of those obvious things that that I, I always question whenever TV shows show it because it's an obvious frame up kind of thing to do. Like, there's no way, even in real life or even in the show, that the murderer would come back with the bloody gloves to his home and hide those bloody gloves. What, is he saving them for something? Is he going to use them again for his next murder? I'm like, it just doesn't It just doesn't make any sense to me. And you would think the investigators, these detectives, would go, that doesn't make any sense. Why would he hide these gloves? He's, he needs to throw them. He's going to throw them in the river. Or he's going to throw them in a, in a garbage can or whatever. Why would he put them... In it just doesn't make any sense, and it's one of those exactly. one, one of those obvious frame up things that that I, I never understand that TV shows do. So that would bring me to my number three. Yes. Well, Luke's almost takedown by the police. He protected them even though they were doing their job. He protected that officer with his own back when the other shot at him, and protected the police officer with his own body. You know the. It's showing that he cares for people and he cares for the police. And even though they think he's guilty, he's trying to, you know, protect some people. Yeah, that that's another one of those things that you just you you have to. Why didn't somebody say something about that? Because like, what was the point of that? He holding back, obviously pulling his punches. You know, he could have just smashed these guys' heads in. Oh yeah. And he, didn't do that and again it's one of those things that nobody's bringing up nobody brings up the fact that like you just said when the when the one cop started to shoot at him even though the other cop was in the way which by the way i go back i just said about the guy's cool training obviously they didn't have very good training because you don't do that you don't show you don't shoot at your partner (laughs) like they just anyway but you know him turning around turning his back to the cops and letting those bullets hit him instead of the cop that he was struggling with, you would think somebody would notice that and somebody would say, hey, this seems a little weird. But that's that's not being brought up. So, Which brings us to my number two. And uh, my number two is Mariah trying to organize the gangs and she's, she's talking to Chico and she wants to set up that meeting where she wants the Dominicans, the Koreans, the, you know, and, and Chico tells her, well, I think you can get this guy and this guy and this guy into the room but you're not going to get this guy into a room because he hates that guy but you can get these four or five guys whatever we can get these five guys together in a room and we can discuss it and then of course diamondback just walks in and just starts killing everybody and just kills them 
outright like and he leaves chico alive and then he makes this deal with mariah and he says you're not scared even though you just saw me shoot three people in cold blood and she's like well i know you're not gonna shoot me or something like that she says i'm not i'm not i'm not scared because you're not gonna shoot me but then it just shows us how crazy diamondback is because he, he says that line as he's as he looks at chico and he says well you buy or you die and he's talking about his guns you know and it just it the it was a it was one of those moments where it's a scene that we've seen played out in a lot of movies and tv shows but not with that kind of ending. I don't think I've ever seen, you know, we, we see the bad guys have this little parlay and maybe I guess in the dark night, Joker kind of does that when he kills those guys, when they're trying to actually talk to him about, about joining forces. But it just, it, it just, it's rare to see somebody just walk in and just start murdering these heads of these crime, you know, these organized crime kind of factions and gangs. Yeah. And um, what was your number two? My number two would be uh, Misty's starting into her in her own interrogation. You know, mm-hmm. it was very pivotal to her character. It it shows who she is and what she stands for. She w- she wants the truth. Uh, yeah, it, it's like she had a lot of questions. She was mm-hmm. asking as like a police officer. Right, you know, and trying to investigate why they're investigating. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like, why am I being pinpointed? Why am I the the one to be looked at? Uh, no, it's you know, and they're they're looking at the wrong people. Yeah, and it's great again. That's one of those things about that that whole interrogation scene or scenes, I guess, throughout the episode are really gate or great because we see the the doctor, the counselor, kind of lead her. Through his questioning, like he starts out with the soft questions asking, and we've got some of the quotes from it in our quotes when we get to the quotes thing, um, where he kind of leads out what she was doing on the basketball court and and why she played the position that she played. And then he leads her to where basically, I mean, he's he's counseling her, really. And, and what blew my mind about that whole thing, especially when I watched it for the second time, was realizing that I don't think this guy has a, a bad impression of her. This guy genuinely wants her to deal with what's going on in her psyche and she's not dealing with it. And the fact that she lost control with a suspect because she was trying to get back control that she had lost when Diamondback took her gun, you know, and that's, and when he, he leads her to that point and we see that realization on her face and and, she, and that's why she gets her badge back because she realizes what she's done and how to move forward. And it's going to kind of be the opposite. She has the opposite reaction of what the cop in the next episode has. And we'll talk about him when we get get down there. But uh, it, yeah, that whole that whole interrogation thing, interview. I mean, I even hate to call it an in, uh, interrogation because it really was a counseling session. Just if you look at how he led her down the down the path of kind of getting her to answer questions and then even with her questions of asking him you know he starts out with saying who do you have to talk to and she's like well scarf was my person to talk to and he's like well scarf was a bad guy you know but you didn't see that that he was a bad guy and and so he's starting to lead her through so yeah i really really love that that whole interrogation scene that that it would be it would play completely different if they had edited 
if they had put it like in one long, I don't know how long it actually was, 12 or 15 minutes of the episode, if they put it just in one big chunk, you know, it would have yeah. played very differently. Whereas we see it throughout the episode, uh, which is, is really cool. Uh, I think that brings us to my number one for this episode, uh, which is the, the doctor that we discover is alive. And he says that Carl was an accident. That what happened to Carl, they, you know, they had tried all these things and they killed all these different guys. And, uh, and then, uh, Carl was this, this amazing accident that they, they didn't realize. And what's interesting to me is if you, if you look at that exchange, he didn't even realize that Carl was still alive. Like he thought he had died. And so as soon as he sees him alive and sees what effect the experiments had on him, he suddenly everything he realizes that everything he's been doing over however many years it's been or, or months or whatever it's been since Carl uh, Luke left Seagate. Um, he realizes that he, he has a subject here that it worked on and he's now got to figure out and then he's got to figure out why it worked. And he, he's trying to get a blood sample from him and ends up having to go down his throat and scrape something out of his, his throat. That was gross by the way. Um, but he really was, I think, trying to save Luke, and he's really trying to fix him. And we're going to see that even more so in the next episode. That he really, as much as he wants the te- he wants the technology. Also, I mean, obviously, he wants to be able to duplicate this because he wants to further and keep people alive or whatever it is that his end game is. But is also. You know, the short game is he wants to keep Luke alive. Yeah, definitely. My number one was this episode was mostly about Misty and how she could control the situation and how she wanted to make things right. The the interrogation and what she went through emotionally, where is she going with this? Mm -hmm. She has a lot to do with this to help Luke. Yeah, that's literally where it's all pointing to. Yeah, I'm I'm ex- I'm interested to see how this character goes on because obviously we're getting close to the end of this season to see how she ends this season and goes into the second uh, season. And uh, so we've got some quotes here that uh, that I think we both liked. And I, I want to give my first one first because I love this line, and for me, this line is exactly what. Uh, kind of what police work is or, or even what firemen do. You know, firemen do the exact opposite of what you're supposed to do in a fire. So what Misty says to the interrogator, she says, we run toward gunfire. We drink when we're sad. We screw when we're mad. And people hate us until they need us. And I hate that, but I love it too. And uh, I just I just love that line because it's so exactly on point to, I, I think, what from what the people that I've met and people that I've talked to that that is exactly how they feel uh, is is everybody hates us until they need us and then suddenly they 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 need them you know and and especially in this day and age and in in the things that that are and not so much recently it, it's but I mean a year or two ago and really when this this uh, season was airing you know there was a lot. Oh, yeah. of, of stuff in society against police and and this and so to hear her say something like this is it's a really good it gives a really good understanding of the fact that that she says I'm a cop I, I I hate the fact that this is the way it is but I also love it because that's the way it is so I really like that 
Yeah, it's uh, yeah. It actually is pretty much describing the day and age and how we mm-hmm. are and how people perceive the police and what's going on. Uh, I, you know, you have to admit there are those that are out there that are bad. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, look at Frank Willie's character. He wasn't mm-hmm. a great guy. He wanted to be a good. You know, he mm-hmm. just went into a bad trench. He's only human. But the thing is, is that he went, uh, he went bad and went sour and he was trying to redeem himself. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, there are those that just run towards fire and people are just pointing fingers and yelling angrily. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, I just, it bothers me because I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I grew up in a family of you know, where they were law for uh, law enforcement mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. with my brother, my cousin, uh, my father, uh, th- that's usually what it is. They always deem them as bad. Oh, and then when they need them, oh, I need you. Right, <laughs> you right, know? exactly, exactly. It's so yeah. sad to to see, but, well, you have to go to them, but don't put them down. It's not everybody. It's not everybody on the job. Yeah. It, it's, you know, sometimes things happen, but we're only human, and, you know, humans do make mistakes. And I'm not saying, and I'm not trying to forgive those who have, Mm-hmm. But uh, honestly, it it's like don't judge something based upon what they're representing. It's not right. as well, a whole. Yeah, don't 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 judge an entire group based on one person's actions or one or two people's actions. I mean, it's what it's what society tells us all the time about whether whether we're talking about gun owners or or Muslims or whatever. You know, don't base your hatred toward an entire group over what one or two people have done yeah and that's and that's really what it what it comes down to and that's it's the same thing with the cops don't there's there's millions of cops out there and yeah we have these news things about one or two bad ones uh the guy in texas just last week they um was it texas who they just uh convicted him of yeah. killing that the kid in the car you know that that's one guy you know don't base a whole entire all cops on what that one guy did so you've got a couple quotes here that i like and and one of yours leads into one of mine so wh- what is a couple of your quotes there uh mine was uh, i was short and that was the only <laughs> way to get on the court I I love that, that the, the, the interviewer was trying to say that she was a shooting or that she was a point guard because she wanted to be in control of everything. And she turns that on him. So that was a good, good line. Uh, and then, uh, you think you're going to break me? Bring it. That was great. Cause, and I had the, the, the line right after that, where he says, I'm not here to break you. You've already done that yourself. And you can see that on her face that she realizes that, oh, yeah, I I've done this to myself, you know. So I, I thought that was that was kind of cool. Uh, the next one I have is from Misty as well. Uh, I applied foot to ass and matched lead for lead. I put murderers <laughs> in handcuffs. I don't just seek out justice; I stalk it, and yeah. that much should go in my record. I loved that quote. I actually had that quote when I saw that you that you had. I, I went ahead and took and changed uh, a couple of mine uh, because I, I had some more. I'm going to skip one of those ones because it doesn't matter. But uh, I really loved that quote 
from uh, Mariah when she's talking to her political, her her little assistant there, and she says, "You would use my personal tragedy for strategic political advantage." I taught you well, you know. <laughs> and yeah. uh, and uh, and then of course the the line at the end where uh, they're they're deciding how to to uh, uh, treat uh, Luke and uh, Claire says, "I think he wants to deep fry you like a turkey." <laughs> I thought that was that was pretty good. So uh, let's see if we got some we've got some notes here. Yeah, go with yours. Um, well, Diamondback he, he really wants to find and I guess kill Luke, but we don't know why yet. Um, and I was really surprised that Luke was able to, you know, kind of walk into that laundry. He was able to steal clothes and then get out without anyone noticing all while the TV is showing his face. It was a bit hard for me to believe that, but you know, Hey, I'll, I'll give it to him. Maybe people just don't pay attention to a gigantic black man walking through the laundromat. Uh, Maybe they don't want to be noticed by him. So they don't notice him. It just, that it kind of took me out of the episode for a few, a little bit when I saw that scene, especially the second time when I was like, wait a minute, there's people in this laundry He's stealing their clothes. So is he not stealing clothes? Like, is he stealing clothes from someone who's not still in the... It just didn't make any sense to me. Like, the whole... It kind of took me out of it a little bit. So Yeah, there, there's certain things that they write in that, you know, it doesn't make sense. It happens yeah. in any episode, any show. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the one thing I thought was pretty uh, nice was uh, Claire taking Luke to somewhere she can help him in a van. Uh, mm-hmm. It's cold out... And out in the middle of the cold, you know, yeah. they, they're just driving along and she just wants to help. And she just screams out, you're not dying in my mom's freaking car. <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> that was great. That was great. Well, very cool. So that was episode nine, um, which led us directly into episode 10, which is take it personal. And this one, there's no cold open. And it was interesting to me when I noticed that, especially the second time going through, there's no cold open. They just go right into the credits, the theme, and then they kind of resolve that ending scene very quickly for us that uh, we see that Claire realizes that it was the heat because remember, if you go back to the Seagate flashback, the uh, the guard guy wanted them to turn up the heat really high, and so she realizes that and she says, "Turn the heat up," and that gets that is able to soften up uh, Luke's skin, I guess. So they're able to get the shrapnel out. Um, he and Claire discover some more things uh, about his past as well. They they discover some uh, some notes, some things that. Um, Reva said on the thumb drive that uh, that are very surprising, and uh, Misty uh, is searching for Diamondback, uh, even though her boss doesn't like it. Like she wants the, her boss wants her looking for Luke Cage. She's looking for the guy who stole her gun. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Striker, that that whole again, the frame ups in these episodes are just really poorly done. I, I, I mean, I love these writers and I love these actors. But come on, you're not going to go beat up a bunch of cops and just yell, I'm Luke Cage, I'm Luke Cage, you know, and just like it just didn't make any sense to me. And just like, who's who's going to do that? Like, it just didn't it was the whole thing just just screamed a frame up to me. And then uh, that detective, he steps way out of bounds which plays directly into Mariah and Diamondback's plans for what they want to do with the the police as far as getting them to buy the guns. 
that Diamondback has stolen from Hammer Industries that are made from these kind of alien technology, and they want to arm up the police with them. It's 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 a very weird, convoluted kind of plot that makes me just shake my head a little bit because it just seems it just seems really long way to go around trying to sell guns to the police to get the bad guys to sell guns to the police it just it was it was it's a confusing plot line that i hope they figure out how to to sew it all up really but part of me is just like i don't care (laughs) honestly because i'm just like this is so convoluted that if it happens to work it's still not going to accomplish what they want to accomplish which which is I don't even know. I'm not even sure what they're trying to accomplish. Are they trying to make legitimate money from their ill-gotten gain? Are they trying to get some more ill-gotten gain? I don't know. It's a. It was a confusing plot point to me um, that really didn't have anything to do with what I thought of as the main story, which is that which brings us to that final scene, that shootout in the club in Harlem's Paradise, and. We're going to see direct ramifications, I'm sure, from all those things in the next episodes, uh, at least two or three, because we are we have three episodes left, 11, 12 and 13. And yeah. so uh, we're, we're getting close to the end, but we're still kind of far away as well. So the, obviously it looks like Misty and Luke are going to get out of that club somehow, unless we're going to spend three episodes with a shootout in the club, which I don't think is going to happen, but um. <laughs> well, well, to add to your, you know, you saying, I'm Luke Cage, I'm Luke Cage. Yeah. The only other person that would do that would probably be Danny Rand going, I'm the Iron Fist. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. It just, it just was one of those things. I was just like, come on, you know, and it just, it was just confusing to me that that whole these frame up things. Sweet Christmas. So uh, what is your number five for this episode? That would be the opening scene with Claire trying to take care of Luke and a makeshift underground surgical unit that she created with a friend to Mm. save Luke's life. This was so intense. You know, it's like her friend was constantly trying to figure out his physiology and try to work around everything. Yeah, and that kind of leads right to my number five, which is is kind of a – it's going to be a negative. I feel like I'm – really got some negative stuff about these these episodes but not really i mean overall i liked them but when they do that surgery they only go to one location on his body they only pull out like three little pieces of shrapnel we see them pull out through the one hole yeah wasn't he shot twice didn't he have multiple like it would seem to me like unless they just want us to assume they're going to do this several times i would think they would need to you know at least give us a throwaway line of all right, put him back again so we can get the other wound. <laughs> you know, you don't necessarily have to show us them digging out the sh- the shrapnel a second time, but at least let us know that you acknowledged that we're not stupid and we know he was shot twice. That there's two different places that have shrapnel and there's two different places they're going to have to draw metal out of. So it it just it it kind of bothered me a little bit. Yeah, that was your number five. That was my number five, yeah, All which right. is right. This almost the same as your number five, but a negative, <laughs> but a negative look at it. It's okay. What was your number four? Uh, that would be Cottonmouth and Mariah in their meeting. A lot went on down there, you know. She's unsure of Cottonmouth's need to kill Luke Cage. She has some sort of respect for Luke. Well, that's what I get out of it, you know. It's 
I, I think she sees something within Luke about the community and doing good, and she's trying to do good with doing the wrong to do good. You know, it, it's kind of a weird scenario. Yeah, that was that whole thing that that pulls me out, that took me out of it with this whole convoluted plot thing of where on one hand she wants to stress these crazy superhero vigilantes that our cops need to be um, need to be armed enough to be able to fight against, and then at the same time she's like, "But what he's doing for Harlem?" And I'm like, "Lady, make a decision. Either you, I don't, I just." Yeah, that that again goes back to that this whole kind of subplot of trying to politically maneuver. You know, I, I want my criminals to just be drug dealers or you know pimps or whatever. Don't have these weird political machinations that you're trying to to you know trying to get legitimate. You're trying to have legitimate power as well as having criminal power. That's that's what it seems like to me. Yeah. So it's it's a weird. Um, my number four was uh, what I mentioned a little bit in my synopsis is that realization that Riva uh, was way deeper into these experiments at Seagate than we even realized. You know, she um, she says on that on that uh, one of the recordings, she's kind of talking about Carl very clinically, and all of that. I'm assuming those recordings are before she developed feelings for him because she talks about when he stopped taking care of himself, when he stopped cutting his hair, when he stopped taking a shower and things like that. And she says they need to do something to get him back into kind of trying to clean him up a little bit. And so I I think it may have been part of her redemption of that, doing that erasing of her and Carl's life and giving them those new identities. Um, But it seems like for Luke that it wasn't enough. It seems like he had, and he says this, I think I got one of the quotes in my quotes about this, the fact that he had this idea of who Reva was. That was what he fell in love with. He didn't actually fall in love with the real Reva, which made me, it made me kind of sad for their love story um, that it just, it it really did. It just made me sad for their love story and that it wasn't as pure as what it looked like from the outside. Mm-hmm. You know, from what we saw in Jessica Jones, we saw this very pure love that he had for her that turns into rage against the person who killed her and uh, or the person who caused her death, not the one who necessarily killed her exactly. But um so it made me feel kind of bad, and then of course he tries to destroy the equipment in the doc's lab, but he doesn't. Uh, he shows some restraint that he doesn't uh, uh, completely kill. He doesn't kill the doctor because that's what Claire says later. Is she says, "Oh, you're lucky that he just destroyed your barn. I would have killed you," or something <laughs> like that. So, yeah. Uh, that well, was... I think I just took your number three, didn't I? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, yeah. It was basically Claire standing up for Luke with the guy that helped. Claire, you know, revival. Yeah. Yeah, that was showing loyalty. Uh, Yeah, I really do enjoy that. Uh, It it shows that there's a compassion for Luke from, you know, from Claire, and she does really care for these people and care. There there seems to be some sort of deep care in -hmm. some way. I I don't know. I'm sensing something. Yeah, that that goes right into your number two. Go ahead and, and say your number two, I think. 
Alright, well, I'm, I, I'm liking how close that Claire is to Luke now. Uh, mm-hmm. He's trusting Claire because she doesn't back down from him uh, or from any fight at that matter. You know, she stands up for who she is and uh, is very passionate about it. Yeah, and that kind of leads into my number three, which I, I hate to jump over you a little bit that with right. that number. But you remember those were so so close together. Because my number three is that road trip that they take. And the, the timing seems a little weird, and I'm, I'll give them a little bit of grace on the timing of driving from New York to Georgia and then back again apparently in just a, a few hours, which I, I think Georgia is a little further away from New York than that. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> they, they take that they take that road trip down to Savannah, and uh, he shows her Seagate. He shows her, you know, his father's church, and he tells her about the sign, the fact that his his father was a minister, that he was a Tuskegee airman uh and that he was an adulterer they find out you know as as he's walking through the church and he's seeing all the graffiti and it's it's almost like i hadn't thought about it until just now but it's almost like all these these idealized things that luke had about his father about his upbringing about reva they're all being torn down and he's he's finding all these things now that are so much darker than what he thought and uh that's that's i can imagine that's going to have to play into his character here in the future that we're going to see some sort of change in him i would think because at some point he's going to realize man this has been everything in my past has been a lie everything everything that i thought i knew that was good is actually bad and Again, that's unfortunate. I just there's a lot of things in this episode, especially that just took us, that took us down from where we thought we were. You know, we thought that Riva and Luke had this pure love for each other, and then we find out that no, she was completely deceiving him, and he had no clue. We find out he thought that his father was this great person, and now he realizes, oh wait a minute, he was an adulterer. He had this child out of wedlock who now hates me and wants to kill me. You know, and it just uh, it was just interesting uh, to to see that and start to to see that uh, uh, the words escaping me that degrading of his his past. Yeah. Um, so um, I have no idea where we are. Um, let I me give my over to my number two. Right. So let me go ahead and give my number two, which is real short. Um, which is just it's more about this whole uh, subplot that seems to be working. That you know, Diamondback, they, he's not Houdini, but his misdirection is working. He's getting everybody to look one direction at something else when really it's about another thing. And I thought that was uh, that was kind of interesting when you start to see that his plan. So, what is your number one? Uh, my number one would be the ending shootout. Misty getting clipped and Luke protecting her and saying. I got you. Uh, with the music coming straight out of a Grindhouse movie, it, it was so intense. It, it reminded me of those late seventies, like dirty movies, you know. Yeah, and uh, it was awesome. I, I, you know, because we know she was there to protect Luke. Uh, yeah, it's really cool. 
Yeah, I think she's starting to figure out, you know, that he's he's not the bad guy that everybody thinks he is, and uh, uh, so that's that's really cool. That last that that last shootout is. I'm I'm gonna be I'm excited to see what the next episode, how the next episode starts. If it starts with the continuation of that shootout, if we're gonna get a flashback to it or what, I'm I'm kind of excited to see that. I may look at that tonight or tomorrow morning. Um, my number one is that editing in the church scene. I kind of talked about it a little bit. But it was really good the way they edited Carl walking in, and it got confusing actually a little bit between young Carl and old Carl and young, uh, you know, his mom and Diamondback's mother, and those flashback scenes. It got a little confusing, but when I watched it the second time, I really got to see how brilliant the editing of that was with him walking through and then it panning kind of down to his feet as a kid and then panning up and it's him as a man and he opens the door like to the pastor's office as a man and he looks in and he sees the flashback of when he was a child you know uh and i I really like that whole editing was was really cool and it left me a question and i think claire kind of asked that question of where's luke's father and 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 luke kind of says it doesn't matter we're not we're not worrying about him right now so i'm uh it's another one of those things that I'm, i'm excited to see where they take that or if they take that somewhere if they show us luke's uh luke's father at all um uh just a couple of quotes here from us uh what have you got my quotes uh, would be Cottonmouth. Well, you don't have to kill God <laughs> with one shot with a weapon. You just have to make him bleed. Yeah, that was a great line. It reminded me of that last scene in the movie 300 where he throws the spear and he causes the guy to bleed. You know, he barely nicks him, but you see the yeah, you see the, the bloodshed. The, you, you see the blood and, and the Spartans realize we can win this, even though they eventually don't. But they, they see that it's possible. And, and so I like that, that you don't have to kill. That was a good, a good line. Uh, and then mine, uh, my first one is uh, that at the very beginning when uh, they talked about uh, – and Stryker says power doesn't travel when he, he gets Mariah to come to him. And she's like, I could have at least had a driver and then it, it wouldn't be two hours late. And he's like, well, if you brought a driver, I would have to kill the driver. And, <laughs> you know, um, so I thought that was that was kind of cool. And then, of course, Claire, uh, her line at the beginning that sometimes you got to throw the science out and go with what you know. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, the only other thing I have is Mariah saying, "Who, who needs trust when you have power?" Yeah, yeah. Another, another good line when she's in there. Um, and for me, I already mentioned it. My last one was that idea, that thing that he tells to, to Claire that he says, "I love, I love the idea of Riva, but not her specifically, not anymore." And it just, it was so heartbreaking to hear him deliver that line. Uh, I was just, ah. Oh. I, it was just it made me feel so sad for him uh, and just for that love I'm a sucker for a love story. I know probably doesn't seem like that if people hear me and and see, but I'm a sucker for a good love story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anything about these both these episodes uh, these episodes kind of intertwined or or I guess specifically about ten that we didn't bring up? Uh, the only thing I brought up was uh, the weapon used for the incident. Uh, yeah, to make Luke look like he's doing something wrong. Cottonmouth stating that he was Luke Cage. It reminded me of the Shocker in uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. 
uh, taking things into his own hands. Uh, this is personal to Cottonmouth. He's making himself known and making things happen. What is the what is his problem with you know Luke? What's what's going on? Yeah, we, I mean, we get a little bit of that when we see when we realize that, that they're half brothers, and that obviously he didn't get the acknowledgement of who his father was growing up. But uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that is uh, going forward with Diamondback. Um, we talked a little bit about most of mine. Um, I will bring up. I, I love the Mike twice the Mike Tyson quote. I've used that so many times. Where Mariah walks into the boxing, uh, the boxing gym, and she tells Chico that quote from Mike Tyson, where everybody has a plan until they get hit or they get punched in the face. Is what I thought it was. Is that the actual quote from Mike Tyson? Is everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Uh, I, I just love it. It's one of those things that I've always brought up. Whenever I see people's things start to go awry, and I'm like, they're like, no, but I had a plan. I'm like, yeah, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Uh, uh, and then uh, it was kind of cool that Mariah mentioned the Jessica Jones uh, killing Kilgrave in in her talk with the when she was doing her press conference. She says uh, yeah. that that woman up in Hell's Kitchen who snapped a man's neck because he was he was controlling her with his mind or something like that. I was just like, oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and They're then uh, everything. Yeah, exactly. Cool. And then, of course, we got the superhero landing uh, with uh, on the dance floor with the. Uh, uh, when Luke jumped out of the the window there at Harlem's Paradise, so yeah, well those superhero <laughs> landings apparently ruin your knees according to that bull, So yeah, exactly. you gotta watch out that you know I'm old, I, my knees are shot. <laughs> oh, I'm, I don't even get me started around knees. <laughs> uh, anything else with the, the the two? I see you've got a nice one there. Uh, yeah, the smooth move with uh, Luke taking Claire's keys to to her car in an in, the, in episode ten. Uh, he goes, I'm driving. And she's like, about time. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it seems like he's the one that's always being driven or taken somewhere. <laughs> yeah. 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 Cause she's been driving. Cause he's been, he's been injured and wounded so much, you know, <laughs> that she's been driving everywhere. Um, yeah. And, and the only one I had really was, was just the idea that we're seeing a lot of Mariah and that this character is going to kind of stick around uh, for a while. I, I hope so. At least in one capacity or another, cause she's not, she's not really like a big bad in this season. So I, I can see her surviving it. Um, I don't necessarily know if we're going to have Diamondback survive it, mm. but uh, uh, we'll see. We've got a few more episodes to go. Um, we had an interesting discussion on the Facebook uh, page this this week that uh, that you kind of started on there that I, that I thought was uh, was was very provocative and it, it uh, prompted quite a bit of discussion. Uh, fill us in. What was that question you asked, Mark? Uh, I asked what was the <clears throat> first official marvel film that wasn't really a marvel film with the the logo yeah and i uh, you know i had to when when i first saw the question i my mind immediately snapped to the captain america tv movie from the 70s uh but of course i went back to your post and realized that you were talking about theatrical release movies yes. not not a TV TV show, uh, and then you know Ben Ben uh, rang in with kind of what was maybe the technically correct answer, like you said, with it being Blade as the 1998 movie that had the actual Marvel logo, and that it was the first feature film to be put out by the Marvel Entertainment Group in conjunction with with New Line Cinema. However, the trick of your question was that you weren't necessarily specifying the Marvel logo. 
Correct. So why don't you tell us what the real winner is here? The, the real re- winner. Was. The real winner is Howard the Duck because uh, that <clears throat> that was the first theatrical release uh, of a Marvel film or Marvel character in the theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just didn't have the Marvel logo on it. Uh, ben just kind of, you know, got me on that one. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, actually, it, and after that, the official one would be Blade, which is true to you know what he was stating. So uh, you know, it's kind of like a, a tie in a sense. But at my point of view is the first official Marvel character to be portrayed on the theater screen was Howard the Duck, and, and produced by who? <laughs> produced by George Lucas. That's crazy to me. I, I didn't even remember that. When, so I remembered uh, it. I actually saw that in the theater. and Me too. I was so happy to see it. And I, but the one thing, bad takeaway was, like, he's not really foul, foul mouth. <laughs> and he's not dark. He, he, you know, he was a black duck, not a white duck and or gray duck or whatever they, they drew him as. Yeah, and uh, you know, I I enjoyed it for what it was when I was uh, a teen. But you know, it, to me, I enjoyed the movie. I still yeah. enjoy it to some degree because I look back at it as goofy as it was. But it was the first. I don't I don't think I've watched it really in in a long time. But I do remember going to the theater, seeing it in the theater. I remember having a crush on Leah Thompson. Uh, you know, after uh, Back to the Future and, and some of the other movies that that she was in. Uh, so uh, I had a crush on Leah Thompson. I'll, I'll admit. And but uh, yeah, that was really good. And I think uh, uh, Paul Williams was the name of the guy that uh, actually brought up Howard the Duck first on yeah. the Facebook. I believe. I believe. So thank you to him. Yeah, and thank, thank you. you, thank you to everyone else, everyone who's given feedback uh, on our Facebook page. We've noticed a lot of new views, and we're trying to post something every week. So we're excited to to bring new stuff, new content to you, uh, and hopefully here very soon. Now that uh, all of the Punisher episodes are are up and available for people to to, to listen to, uh, you know, send us some feedback. Tell us what you thought about those Punisher episodes. We're gonna you're gonna hear Jessica Jones next. And then uh, once we get all caught up, we'll be on uh, on level with y'all, and we'll figure out what we're going to do next after Luke Cage. We have three more episodes to go. Yeah, it'll be Where a next can... level, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Where can people hear you, Mark? Uh, you could uh, you could hear me on the Walking Dead talk through on Golden Spiral Media with uh, Brian Malosh. Uh, we're doing Fear the Walking Dead right now in its fourth season. And we're having a little bit of fun with it. Uh, Brian's not happy with a couple episodes, but uh, <laughs> you could hear. I listened. I listened to. The, yeah, I started listening to this week's. Woo. Yeah, you could, you could hear Brian rant. And, uh, you know, he, he has like very particular tastes and he does come up with some great thoughts on character development. Uh the actual story, everything that's going on. I throw in my quirky wit in there <laughs> a few times, and you get a good chuckle because I mention a few things about pop culture. So, you know, enjoy it. I, I do want to say I, I this this will probably be several weeks in the future before this, this comes out, but I do want to say thank you to Brian for noticing that my uh, – I appreciate my feedback being missed 
last week. I was not able to watch the the episode, um, the one prior to the code. Uh, what was it? The yeah. Anyway, I, I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, um, the one prior to the code. I, I wasn't able to watch it the same night, and I didn't actually get to it till much later in the week. So I, I didn't send any feedback to anybody on that one. So I sent some feedback in for the code because I just uh, I'm I'm in agreement with most people on that one. That was a it was a hot mess. Yeah. Uh, it was funny, and Mo Collins and Chill uh, were great on Talking Dead, oh, yeah. and I uh, I'll have to admit I did not know. Daryl Mitchell, what had happened to him? I, I knew him from Galaxy Quest. I knew him from um, uh, a couple other things that I'd seen him in, but I did not know what has happened to him in the last nine, eight, seventeen years. I guess two thousand one. He was in a motorcycle accident yeah. uh, that left him that left him paralyzed, and so it's amazing to see him advocating for disabled actors and and showing that people can be out there and doing things. And and once I once I realized who it was that that was the guy from Galaxy Quest, I was like, that's so cool. Um, yeah, I, I love him. Uh, you know. Honestly, Galaxy Quest, he was awesome in that. I love yeah. that movie. And he's such a humorous person. And for him to come in and show a little bit slight humor into the character mm-hmm. he had on that episode, I, I loved it. Yeah, I'm excited to see what they're gonna what they're gonna do bringing forward. And I and I'll say this right now, just we'll talk briefly about The Walking Dead. Um I'm I'm still in the camp where I like fear right now. I, I don't like some of the the writing and oh, some of the way man. they're telling the stories, but I like what they're doing with the show because what they're doing with the show – and I understand how if you're a fan of – and I'm going to put it this way so, so it, it's understood better. If someone is a fan, like a huge super fan of Fear but not The Walking Dead, I can understand why they are. Because I'm a huge fan of The Walking Dead and haven't been a fan of Fear for this reason. Fear, to me, was a very family connection, family-oriented – not family – not like family viewing-oriented, but like the themes of the characters were family-related, whereas the Prime Show is more the non-blood family that we have. And so now Fear is kind of starting to go that way to where – Literally, we don't. There's nobody. There's nobody on that show who's connected by blood anymore. All the characters, all the characters are non-blood family, and so we're going to get to see that uh, that play out. And I think that's why I like I'm liking Fear right now. Whereas the Prime Show is kind of almost going the other way to where we have more actual blood family members. But I guess we're losing. We're going to lose some. So I don't know. I still I still like both shows, but I, I can I can point to the fact that the reason why I didn't latch on to fear early on was because to me it was a more of a family theme. And it was a spinoff, too. It was. But I mean, I gave it a chance. I just couldn't get into it because I I guess I like the idea of people being thrown together and having to build a relationship whereas except for it not i'm not as big a fan as people as a pre-existing relationship going into the zombie apocalypse so. uh, I, you know personally i see it as this uh, way that fear is going is still a traveling mm-hmm. show uh kind of like what the walking dead was because if yeah. you looked at where rick started and where and where they ended up they ended up in alexandria that was an end point at certain oh, yeah. point. 
So they are building a community. They are creating mm-hmm. multiple communities. So now the the Prime Show is uh, the proper show, as most people call it, is pretty much all about uh, creating a society. Mm-hmm. And uh, Fear is still working on moving along. And yeah. what they experience on the road. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they do go back to Alexandria due to Morgan and mm-hmm. they continue walking. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm interested to see what they're, what they're going to do with it. And, and I'm, I'm with you. I've been, I don't know if we discussed this on this podcast or not, but this is, we've now been three seasons basically in the same location on the prime show. Yes. Whereas, whereas in the first five seasons, we didn't spend more than maybe a season and a half in one location, I think they were in the prison for a season and a half of a season, yes. and then they had to, and then they had to move. And so, we've not had this this like I said this these three seasons of being in the same place. It's been a much different show, yeah. which is uh, interesting. So, um, you can hear me, of course, right here. And often I send out voicemails or I send out feedback to other podcasts and like I said I want to go back to I appreciate that Brian uh, missed my my feedback from last week's episode of of Fear the Walking Dead I appreciate that and uh, we'll try to get something in to everybody I can't get in I can't get stuff into Walking Dead cast quick enough they record way too early man they they (laughs) They record uh, like on Monday afternoon like yeah well I well what do you want that's that's Jason's life yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. So, but uh, anyway, other than that, you can email us at panels to pixels one at gmail.com. That's panels to T O pixels one, the number one at gmail.com. Or the best way to, to interact with us is on the face on our Facebook page at panels to pixels. And I have to shout out to anybody that's been going on to the panels Facebook page liking it loving it and following it thank you all uh just send feedback even if it's on the facebook page uh we'll we'll state what you comment you know i i really want get to get more feedback and shout outs to you guys but uh i've not been seeing anything but thank you all for actually participating and following us it's amazing Uh, i'm seeing this starting to grow amen All right, so uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Mark. And I'm Steve. And this was Panels to Pixels. Good night, everybody. Good night.